from the Wormy Studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. It is time for another composting episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Are you shredding all those fabulous fall leaves? Are you feeding your kitchen waste to red wigglers in a worm bin? On today's show, I'll reveal some cool ways to make the most of these vital organic ingredients. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, cats and kittens. Yes, potential guests are busy sucking and shredding. So we will take that heap and help it of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and ridiculously robust recriminations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than garden gold for your raised beds. Right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, the Christmas city at this time of year. P.A. I am your host, Jolly Mike McGrath, and coming up later in the show, we will have a treatise on composting and worm bins that will cover many topics. I'm sure you'll learn something. Well, maybe sure is the wrong word. Anyway, before that, lots of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Holly. Welcome to yes. You Bet Your Garden. Hello. Hello. How is Holly? Uh, doing reasonably well. <laughs> it's still nice weather. Yeah. Uh, where are you, Holly? I'm in Bucks County, Central Bucks County. Oh, this is the best time of year. Come on. The, it is. The... Oh, yes. Other than the, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm out on my deck, and there are no longer um, hummingbirds coming to the feeder. So oh, I you miss poor, the hummingbirds, but... you poor baby. You want to see hummingbirds move to New Mexico? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> um, my wife and I uh, were at a medical conference, I believe in Las Vegas, and we love to visit California. We would drive up and down from um, the Baja all the way to the Redwoods. And so we decided, because it was winter, it would be safe to rent a car and drive across the Painted Desert. Well, the, the Painted Desert was in full bloom, and you could see what they mean. And hummingbirds were around there like flies at a picnic. Wow. That must have been lovely. Oh, it was amazing. I mean, it, it took us four hours to drive 30 minutes worth because we kept getting out and going, wow, this is like the wonderful world of Disney. That would, yeah, that's nice. All right. So, Holly, you're okay. in Bucks County. Beautiful place this time of year. What can we do you for? I have a spirea that I've had for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. And this year I noticed that there are sort of long, I mean, I guess it's, I'll call them trunks. I'm not exactly sure what a shrub would have that's the equivalent of a trunk of a tree. But, they, you know, just these big long shoots coming up that Out of the ground. Yes, out of the ground. Okay. You know, and um, they, uh, the, the leaves are bigger than the regular leaves. They're not branching off. Mm -hmm. And I'm just not sure what's happening to my spirea that suddenly it looks like this. They, 
monstrous thing. I think I, I I think of them as like in the Woody Allen film of Sleeper when they have those enormous stalks of celery and things like that. <laughs> Compared to the regular spirea, I mean, this isn't that big a difference, but it's still just, it's like a different shrub. Okay. So uh, is your landscape mulched? No, not at all. Not at all. So there's nothing around the trunk of the spirea? Just grass. Just grass. Um, well, what, what, what's happening is you're getting what are called suckers. And these okay. are opportunistic um, parts of the plant that are coming up from the root system underground. This occurs generally because people are, have heavily mulched the plant and it's trying to survive by sending up babies. You know, when, oh. when fig trees do this and they're left alone and they're strangler figs, they can cover acres. Okay. Um, but you have, oh. again, suckers. Um, and I'm surprised that there are leaves on them. You let them go a long time. I, I probably, yes. That's okay. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Um, okay. Each plant suckers differently, those that do sucker. So it's quite possible that these um, opportunistic shoots um, could grow leaves and flower. Uh, you know what? I'm, wait, I'm sorry. I, I'm going to interrupt you because I'm, I'm actually outside looking at it now more closely. Some of these are actually growing off of branches okay. that, that flowered last year. Okay. Those are called water sprouts. Okay. And it's kind of the same thing. If it comes up from the ground, it's a sucker. And okay. if it comes out of a branch of the plant pointing up, it's a water sprout. They're all pointing all up, right. right? Yes. Okay. I would certainly remove the water sprouts. Uh, they okay. are, they're not going to do much in terms of flowering, and they're draining a lot of energy from the plant. Okay. Now, you can experiment and leave the suckers go. Um, but, I, you know, if you have a nice-looking landscape, it's never going to look good. So I don't have that good of landscape. <laughs> but I appreciate the, uh, yes, okay. Okay, so the best time to prune off the suckers would be the dead of winter. All right, not right now. No, no, no. You could stimulate okay. new growth, and the plant would keep growing and freeze to death. Oh, okay. No, okay. nothing now, should and, be and as, pruned in sorry. the fall. Okay. All right. And so, so that would be true of the, of the, all right, that's the suckers and the water sprouts also should be pruned in the winter? That'd be the best time if you... I will do it then. That's okay. fine. Okay, good, good. So I don't have to do anything until winter. And I would assume at that point, okay, and that one, that, yeah, that one is a sucker. All right. So I have both of these things going on. When the leaves have died off, I will cut these things off. Wait till it is bitter cold. Wait till, bitter cold. Wait, wait till it's been bitter cold for a week and is uh, predicted to be bitter cold for another week. You don't want to stimulate growth at this uh, time of year because it'll freeze. And if I were you, I would, I would go online and investigate this. Um, it is unusual for a plant um, to have both water sprouts and suckers. So something's, wow. going, something's going on here. Um, so I, w I would look into it, but that's what's happening. Uh, do you feed your plants? No, and I probably should. No. I, I mean, I'll be honest. No, they look like they have too much energy to begin with. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, my. Then I have, 
No, I mean I live out in the woods, so I, mm-hmm. you know, leaves drop on there. We we cut the grass and we let it mulch itself. Where, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of, and it gets a lot of, you know, it gets rain. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I, I don't know if it makes any difference. It, I I planted it to essentially hide the wellhead. Oh. And, oh. Yeah, so that's that's there's a hint. Oh yeah, it's getting so much water, it doesn't know what to do, so it's growing extra arms and legs. No, maybe we've got a 500 foot well. Woo. Well, there's still yeah. going to be there's still going to be constant condensation at the wellhead. But oh. I'll tell you what, just keep an eye on these things. Cut them off over winter. If they start showing up again, just cut them off when you see them. And okay. um go into this more deeply because I can tell you what you got and what to do about it, but I can't explain why. So I would like you to do some independent research now that you know the names of these advantageous plant parts and uh, see if there's anything going on that you should be taking care of. I will do that. Thank you. All right, Holly. Great question. I love doing research. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Number to call, 888-492-9444. Forty-four, Ernie. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Well, good morning, and how are you today? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking. May I? Uh, may I guess that Ernie is short for Ernestine? It's actually Erlene. Huh. Okay. Well, why don't you say that instead of, or is Ernie what you've always been called? I've always been called Ernie. Okay. Must be quite a surprise when people who've not met you call you up. <laughs> oh, that is true. And where is Ernie? I am in Northern California in a city called Redding, California. I've been up there. I've been up there. Um, how are you doing with the fires? Uh, well, we've had a lot of rain, so all the fires are out, and the ground is well-saturated from the weekend storms. Good, good. Hope no landslides come of that. Um, were you exposed to any fire danger or long periods of smelling smoke in the air? Just had the smoke damage in the air for so long. Yeah, yeah. Below you, where the wine country is, a, a lot of the grapes were damaged, not by fire or heat, but they stink. They were exposed to smoke and for long periods of time and it ruined the flavor i kind of take that personally yeah i would too so what's up in reading well when i moved into this house in 1998 there was a beautiful mimosa tree in Uh the front yard about 20 feet from the house Uh uh-oh and the tree died in 2004, but I've got roots Suckers. that I can't kill. Suckers coming up out of the ground? Yes. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it can look like Mickey's beanstalk, uh, not Mickey's beanstalk, uh, broom in the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Uh, you know, they just seem to replicate like mad. How big, yeah. how large of an area is being affected? Uh, well, actually, my whole front area, which I would say is a half an acre. Oof. And you got, you got suckers coming up all over it? I've got suckers coming up on both sides of the house and up against the house in my other flower beds. Mm, flower beds are going to be tricky. I got to be honest with you there. Um, for the front yard, which I presume is grass. Yes. Um, I, th- I think there we have to go rope a dope. Um, cause when you cut the grass, you cut these things down, right? Yeah, but they're back. Yeah, but how long have they been coming up? How many years? Since uh, about 15 years. Oh, oh. Uh, but they never develop anything. They just keep being a wooden stake upside down. They grow into, they're trying to grow into trees in right. some of the areas in the yard. Okay. So the most important thing is you do not allow them to grow a single leaf. Um, make sure you cut them down. There are advanced weed whackers that use chains or hard plastic pieces instead of a, um, in, in, instead of the spool of plastic wire. And um, think, well, they're not called brush cutters, but there is a, a, a hiked up lawnmower that uh, is mm-hmm. for cutting brush. And as soon as you see these things, you want to keep knocking them down. Because if they grow leaves, then they collect solar energy and, you know, then, you know, they'll continue to grow. They'll continue to send up these these suckers. So that's what my problem is, is they they have grown leaves. Yes. Yes. So we have to stop that. You could also... Um, there is an organic herbicide, um, whose active ingredient is iron and it is, yeah, it's a broadleaf herbicide. So if you wanted, uh, to try it, uh, once the leaves formed, you could spray it with this iron spray. It doesn't hurt anything. It's actually good for your soil and see if you can, um, make it unhappy by killing the leaves. The plant expends a lot of energy to push those leaves out. So if, if you spray them with iron, um, I think that would have a good effect, although nothing is going to be better than cutting them down as soon as you see them. Uh, yeah. Are, they're too tough for a regular lawnmower, right? Oh, yeah, they are. Yeah. I use a high-wheel trimmer. High-wheel trimmer. I'm not sure what I know. Those are like a regular uh, weed eater, except they're on wheels. Oh, okay. Yeah, but they, they have the just use regular trimmer line. Yes. I think you have to investigate um, getting a weed whacker that works with metal chains or metal. Okay, with chains or hard plastic blades. Yeah, and the ones in the flower bed, um, I would protect 
the flowers, you know, lay down newspaper or tarp or something and spray those heavily as soon as they put on leaves with the iron solution. And that way um, you won't be killing the flowers underneath. If it were I, I would be out there with my favorite gardening tool, a machete, and I would be taking <laughs> out my anger on these beasts. Oh, yeah. But those plants are famous for it. But um, keep up with it for a season or two, and I think you'll see really good results. They'll start coming up much Okay, smaller. well, thank you so much for your help. I hope it was helpful. You'll let me know, right? Yes, it was. Yes, I will. Thank okay. you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody out there to keep an eye open for those foot-high rosemary plants that have been pruned into the shape of a Christmas tree. They used to be all over the place, but they were hard to find last year. But don't go repeating the time to buy it is when you see it just yet, because we'll be right back with compost conversations and more of your composted phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in the Christmas city of Bethlehem, PA. That's if they lit the storm. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. It's always Christmas out here. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later, we are going to discuss water, worm tea, worm castings, compost, all these great things that we can use to improve the health of our plants. In the meantime, a couple more of your healthy phone calls at 888-492-9444. Sally, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. I'm so excited. Thank you so much. I'm excited too, Sally. Let's go for it. Where are you? I am in Duluth, Minnesota. Oh, I don't know. We get a lot of calls from Duluth now. What are things happening up there? Just all sorts of things. Just uh, on the shores of Lake Superior, the leaves are changing and winter is approaching and, you know, just kind of stuff that goes along with Duluth. Well, I guess they do that up there now, huh? <laughs> oh, I'm already getting crap for my uh, accent, huh? <laughs> what accent? <laughs> what a- I yeah. got I got to tell a brief story. I flew okay. in into uh, Rochester airport because I was speaking mm-hmm. in nearby Iowa, Decorah, and I had a rental car plant and I went up to the a booth that was my rental car um, provider 
and there's a woman there on a computer, and I go, hi, I'd like to pick up my rental car. And I swear to God, no exaggeration. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't do that for you. No, no, I'm just here to fix the computers, you know. So you go over there to that nice young lady at the next booth at over at Avis, and she'll be taking care of you now. And I'm just staring there going, oh, my God, it wasn't just Prairie Home Companion. This is real. Oh, Mike. <laughs> All right. All right. Off the Minnesota topic. What can we do you for? Okay. So I picked up these beautiful oleander plants from a local garden store. When I got Whoa. them home, they were blooming big, pink, white, beautiful flowers. Mm-hmm. I brought them into my sunroom, which is my home office, and it does get quite warm in there mm-hmm. um, through the summer. And then um, when it got too hot, I brought them outside and thought that was good. I read that you could have them outdoors as well. Well, when I brought them back in and they were inside permanently, they started to develop these white, like milky clusters near the stem, mm-hmm. like on the, you know, on the leaf stem. And they are uh, not doing well. They are not healthy or happy. Did anybody um, warn you about this plant? Oleander. No, not really. What? I... Oh, my goodness. Oleander is one of the most so... toxic plants on the planet. Every, every. <laughs> No, I'm serious. It's responsible for multiple deaths every year. Every part of the plant is incredibly toxic. The flowers, the leaves, the stems, the root. It is recommended that oleander never be planted anywhere where there are children or pets. Because all you have to do to get a reaction is to rub up against it. I'm surprised you didn't get a rash from handling it. Well, and now I'm wondering, that's exactly why I probably got them half off. <laughs> because I thought, oh, they're, they're so pretty. And I get them home, and I, and I have read, you know, how, about the, how poison they are. But I also know, like, their symbolism was their endless love and charm. And, oh, they, yeah, they are not happy. No, they're dangerous. Um, these plants are recommended for temperate climates. like. Okay. You know, below Chicago and, you know, even maybe a little below that. So I think your climate is too cold for these plants, luckily. I'm surprised that a local nursery was selling them. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe with proper care in a sheltered place, they could survive outdoors. Uh, but plants like this are not meant to go in and out like a revolving door. You got you to gotta pick one. They need, okay. a, they need a lot of bright sunlight. And you're about to go into a time when you get like four hours of sunlight a day and, and the natives get restless. So to flower, <laughs> they have to be. Oh, I, I have been even further up. And uh, it's people go quite mad when there's only two hours of sunlight a day. Absolutely. But, but then again, in the middle of summer, it almost never gets dark. So you take your mm-hmm. pick. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, outdoors in a temperate climate, they need full sun. They also need lots of water. Um, they can't stand drying out, which they would do mm-hmm. in a warm room. It sounds like you have okay. either aphids or mealybugs or both. Have you? Tr- oh, geez. I hope you haven't tried wiping them off. All Good. of a sudden, I remember what kind of plant. I haven't. Was- yeah. You can spray them off with sharp streams of water. But 
you know, I don't know what to tell you. If you planted them outside now, they probably wouldn't make it because they don't have time to acclimate. I mean, no offense, but your first snow is right around the corner. And <laughs> you're right. Yeah. And I don't know that they're a workable indoor plant unless you have an actual greenhouse where you can control the humidity and stuff um, and have bright lights. So if you're going to keep them indoors, they would require artificial light and a humidifier. But oh my. I, I recommend you put them in the trash and go back to the nurse. No, I'm serious. Go back to the nursery okay. and say, why isn't there a warning on this plant? You know, okay. now my grandchildren can't come over. You know, take them back to the nursery. I'm not that old yet, Mike. But My children. Well, okay, the thing. <laughs> my dog. Mike's grandchildren. I tried. So this neem oil, that's what I've been spraying on them and trying to be real delicate with them. That's done nothing. Oh, no, they're not delicate plants. Um, They thrive. No, you want to spray them down with sharp streams of water alone. I mean, sharp. It'll hurt your hand. And and then you can apply neem oil. But I recommend you take them back to the nursery, demand your 50 cents a plant back, and say you shouldn't sell these without a warning about how dangerous they are. Interesting. All right, Sal. Good luck. Good luck to you. And I I hope I wish for you easy sledding in the months to come. (laughs) Thanks so much. I appreciate it. All right. You take care. Bye-bye. 888-492-9444. Jane. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for being had, Jane. How are you? I am doing well. Uh, where are you, Jane? I am in Millmay, New Jersey. Which New Jersey? Millmay. Millmay. So uh, Millmay. Have you heard of it? No, but it sounds like fun to keep pronouncing. Millmay. <laughs> where the heck it's, are you? It's in South Jersey. It's between Millville and May's Landing, if you know where that is. Yes. But around, yes, so that's where I'm at. Who was May? I'm not sure. Well, why not? You live nearby. (laughs) You should be able to recite the local lore to your visitors. Yeah, we haven't been here for that long, but um, I'll I'll try to figure it out. Yeah, just type it into your uh, search engine, and Wikipedia will tell you more than you want to know. All right. What can we do for Jane um, in a weird town in New Jersey close to Mays Landing? So I have a large property uh, that we planted 18 October Glory maple trees about two years ago along our driveway. Um, Yeah. And they are beautiful and they leaf out great and they're doing well. However, this year... Mostly, I've noticed that um, middle of summer or so, the leaves on some just random branches on almost all of the trees has started turning color, and then eventually the whole branch just kind of dies off, and um, the leaves fall off, and the branch is just standing there ugly naked. Um, So I kind of, you know, inspected it a little closer, and I realized that uh, on the base of the branch, um, the bark is kind of chewed off. So then mm. I... Um, and then you know, did co- you see the hornets? Yes, and then I saw the hornets. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, this is common. It scares the feces out of people. 
Um, but in my experience, they go after my lilac tree. Um, in my experience, it doesn't harm the tree long term. Now, you say your hornet showed up in the middle of summer? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Maybe, uh, well, I didn't notice the hornets themselves. I just noticed that the leaves would turn color, and I would say, oh, well, that's so pretty, but um, it would just be like a random branch, and I know mm -hmm. it's just way too early for them to turn. Um, so I, I think I noticed the hornets maybe late summer, Okay. Um, but I'm sure they were working on them, you know, Well, you know, here's the thing. Um, here's, obviously I knew what was happening as soon as you started to tell me, because I've seen it personally. And, um, what I don't understand and what I've been promising myself to research is why they're doing this late in the season. Hornets build a new nest in the spring out of chewed bark and other plant material. And then at the end of the season, they abandon that nest. So if you've got a hornet's nest up in a tree or something like that, it will not be reused. Um, mm -hmm. These insects, all of these nest builders, like most birds, have the DNA that tells them they have to go through this ritual every year and build fresh. So the one thing that I can't figure out is the hornets are all about to die off except for the queen. Why are they gathering material? Do they hide it somewhere for the spring? You know, I always thought they needed freshly chewed bark, but I'm, I've had the same experience. They show up very late in the season and I'm clueless. I have no idea. But I'm going to I've been trying to find a uh, a hornet expert who can explain this to me and so far I've come up empty. Uh but it is uh, the European hornet most likely, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean when I googled them that's what it looked like. It looked yeah. exactly like a European hornet. Well, there's hornet. there's yeah. really only two hornet hornets that are going to occur, uh the bald-faced and the European and they're okay. pretty distinctive. Yellow jackets are um, technically hornets, but obviously they don't look like these guys. Mm -hmm. So uh, all I can tell you is it doesn't hurt the tree. But okay. if you'd like to wait till fall <laughs> to see the colors and the leaves, um, you can set up hornet traps. I'm not sure what you would use for bait. Probably the same as a yellow jacket trap. Hornets are carnivores. Um, they're out there eating um, a lot of caterpillars and other large pests in your garden, you know, because that's what they need for fuel. They're stripping the tree bark for building material. But again, yeah. I, the only thing I can't understand is why they do it in the fall. It may be because when they strip the stuff in the spring, it kills the plant. And somehow uh, they've learned throughout the millennia uh, to not do this until the fall um, so that the plant isn't long life harmed. But what do they do with it? You know, <laughs> do they have a storage locker, storage unit somewhere? You know, and who's got sure. the keys? So, but you're, so you, you think that my maples will be fine because, yes. you know, I'm, I'm worried about them. And then to so the branches that are kind of dead and ugly, do, is it just worth for me to just cut them off? No, why? For, no. Leave them? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, this is what they're going to look like in winter. Yeah. 
wait till I guess I haven't really I haven't really paid attention to see if they leaf back out uh, because they do strip literally completely through the circumference of the whole branch. I know. Branch. I, so, know. Hmm. I know. Same with my lilac. Technically, yeah. it should kill the plant or that branch, but that's not happening. My lilac is thriving. Yeah. So what I'll hmm. tell you to do is wait until spring. Um, wait till the plant leafs out. And if different portions of the plant do not leaf out, then prune them off. You don't want to do okay. it now because you have no idea what's going to happen in the spring. Okay. All right? All right. Well, and that works for they, me. They, they do sting because they are members of the wasp and hornet family, but only if provoked. They're too busy yeah. doing what they're doing. So I walk past the plant all the time, and they ignore me and I ignore them. Sounds good. Well, if they eat the caterpillars, that's... Fine, too, so they can hang out, I guess. They are total carnivores and very beneficial. What is the old quote? There were these turn-of-the-century garden books um, called the Orange Book and the Green Book, something like that, Um, but they used a lot of rhymes and phrases, and one was the the farmer who kills the hornet's nest. The farmer who destroys the hornet's nest has... uh, Okay, the farmer who destroys the hornet's nests harvests no cabbage that year. Yes, because in an integrated landscape, they're tremendous pest controllers. But people are terrified of them because they have good size and they look kind of freaky. And, um, you know, the farmer also gets like 30 stings. So, you know, (laughs) nature gets even. But, yeah, uh, just ignore them. And the only time that it's safe to prune plants like this that you're uncertain about is in spring, two to three weeks after the plant starts leafing out. Okay. Okay? That's good to know. Perfect. Thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate your call. And if you well, ever choose to call back, you got to know who May was <laughs> and why he was landing. You know. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I'm glad he did because it's a really nice area where we are. So okay. enjoy it. All right. Well, take care, and thanks for calling, and bye-bye. Thank you so much, Mike. Bye. It's time for me to take a little break and warn everyone who does find one of those little rosemary Christmas trees that they are pot-bound in the extreme. So immediately sit it in a sink with a few inches of water with the decorative foil removed, of course, and let it hydrate until you can move it into a bigger pot. But don't go Christmas herb shopping just yet, because we'll be right back with compost confessions and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA.
Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in the Christmas city of Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we are in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we will get to a multiple answer question of the week, which will encompass how to make compost, what to do with worm castings and worm tea, and for city dwellers, a clever way to get clean water for your plants. And that's all coming up after a couple more of your clever phone calls to 888-492-9444. Barbara, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Barb. How you doing? I'm doing well in the Nazareth area. Okay. Uh, Nazareth, not the one near Jerusalem, but the one here in the Lehigh Valley, home of the fabulous Martin Guitar Company, right? Exactly. All right, Barb, what can we do for you? I need some advice with what we kind of call the Garden of Death. <laughs> um, we, we have flower beds around our home, mm -hmm. and this particular bed is on the north. It gets northwest exposure. Okay, that's so not it gets ideal. Very, no, it gets late sun, like 2, 3-ish. Mm -hmm. Jeez, I'm even up for, before that, you know. For, for as uh, long as we've been in this home, which is about 30 years, I've just had difficulty getting anything to grow over there. So have taken out plants, put different plants in. And over the last few years, yeah. this bed has developed some moss. And I've taken the moss out and it comes back. Um, it just stays damp over there. Okay. And in, in the last couple of years... The bed has also developed this little plant, and it looks like tiny, tiny lettuce leaves. Okay. And over time, these little lettuce leaves, which start out a little bit raised uh, off the, the dirt, kind of get flattened down, and they become sort of a mat on the surface of the flower bed. Oh. So I've got moss, and I've got this mat of flattened lettuce leaves. And um, and weeds growing on top of that. So even though I have this mat, well, you got to um, pull the still weeds. Still are growing. You got to pull the weeds. And, uh, I mean, um, and one one of the problems with these shady sites is plants that naturally like shade are going to move in if you don't buy them deliberately. Now, northwest facing, constantly wet. Um, and mm -hmm. I bet your well, I know your soil is heavily acidic or the moss wouldn't thrive like this. Would it be possible to weed out everything and leave the moss? It would be. Moss lawns I, I and demonstrations of moss, moss, not moths, moss in specific garden areas are super hot right now. People are buying moss uh, by the sheet uh, like sod and trying to install it. Mother Nature is telling you what wants to grow there. And you can fight mm. it if you want, 
But as you can see by what's happening to our planet on the West Coast, the East Coast, and everywhere in between, Mother Nature is kind of fed up with us. And my boss back at Rodale Press, where I worked for 17 years, the late, great Bob Rodale, used to say people think they can just do anything they want to this planet. But they forget that Mother Nature bats last. So, you know, she's going to decide the game and uh, she is more powerful than all of us put together. So when a plant, a nice plant is growing somewhere, I tell people to lean into it. Now, you got to pull the weeds, or mm -hmm. if some of them seem a little difficult to pull, um, you, yeah. can, you can get an iron-based herbicide. It's not a chemical herbicide. Uh, Gardens Alive sells it as Iron X, and I've seen it for sale under different brand names in garden centers. But the active ingredient is iron, or as we used to say back in okay. Bridge and Tarsdale, iron. And... Um, it coats the plant and it kills them. It is a post-emergent herbicide that is super environmentally friendly. But I, I would go with the moss. If you don't, you know, there are shade-loving plants, but there are very few plants that like wet feet constantly. So, I mean, you could, you could put hostas in. Have you ever tried mm -hmm. them there? I haven't tried hostas. There is a little bit of a slope yeah. In the bed, I wasn't quite sure. They'll stabilize. About putting hostas on the. Oh, no, okay. they'll stabilize the slope. Okay. okay. But consider a bed of moss with hostas interplanted in it. The hostas will okay. also spread. So if you get fed up with the moss, by that time, you'll have just a, a clump from side to side of hostas. All right, that, that could be much more attractive than what I have now. And they're perennial, and they are the key component of the coward shade garden okay they're invulnerable okay so are you are you saying those little lettuce leaves are a form of moss no the little lettuce leaves could be almost anything i hope it's not garlic mustard that's a nasty plant that uh inhibits the growth or kills um nearby plants but you'd have to look it up i mean go for an id okay. online we'll there's like a hundred thousand plants that kind of look like that um, but mm -hmm. whatever it okay. is, okay. dig them up, and where you dig them up, plant some hostas, and the hostas will outcompete anything, and it will work, it'll play well with the moss. Okay. All right. Thank you, Barb. Good luck to you. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you for making it. Once again, it is time for the question of the week which we're calling Great Ideas for Worm Castings, Worm Tea, Water, and Tumblers. Frank, in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, writes, I've been listening to your podcast for a couple of years, have written to you a couple of times, and you took two of my calls on the show, one about a worm bin issue and the other about fig trees. You have also used a couple of my emails for questions of the week. Teresa... Frank doesn't get on the show again for a while. Anyway, Frank continues, I enjoy bragging to my wife when you read one of my questions on the podcast. As well you should, Frank. The reason for this email is to suggest that your listeners and or viewers 
email or call in about the things that they do to conserve resources or promote organic practices. Here are the things that I do. Frank continues, I have a dehumidifier in my basement that puts out about two gallons of water a day in warm weather, which I use to water my indoor and outdoor plants. That's a great idea, Frank, especially if you're on city tap water and you want to use non-treated water for your precious plants. Frank continues, I also use that water to dilute my worm tea. I have found that I must dilute the worm tea three times as it is awfully strong. I wonder if anybody else has to dilute their worm tea that much. Absolutely they do, Frank. Full strength tea is generally too strong, especially for younger plants. The rule I follow is that the color of the diluted worm liquid should look somewhere between strong tea and weak coffee. And I find that a three-to-one dilution generally looks right. Frank is up to bat again. I obviously also have a worm bin. I use an old blender to grind up the worm castings as they can get pretty hard when they dry out. Well, that's another great idea, Frank. Sometimes my housemate will include avocado husks in our worm bins, and they decay at about the same rate as plutonium. They're organic matter, she says. So are whole trees, I reply. How many shows could we do on spousal compost arguments alone? We'd have to subcontract with Judge Judy. Anyway, I like this idea a lot, except for the collateral damage to any red wigglers that get into the blender. I'm getting flashbacks to Dan Aykroyd's classic Bassomatic skit on the original Saturday Night Live. Oh, uh, and so I will continue to add the finished compost of my worm trays to an active compost pile. But still, except for that memory of Dan Aykroyd, it's an interesting idea. Frank is up again. I have an old coffee grinder I use to grind up eggshells to spread on my three raised beds. Of course, they also go into the planting holes for my tomatoes. Well, that's another great idea, Frank, but why use a coffee grinder? I would load the crushed shells into that old blender of yours with some water and whiz until the shells become liquid. Liquefied calcium will be more immediately active in helping prevent blossom end rot on those precious tomatoes. Frank, again, doesn't this guy ever finish? I also have a tumbler, which I use to break down shredded leaves. The finished product is dark and the leaf remains are very small, but it never starts to look like soil. Do you think that I need to add more nitrogen to the bin when I start the process? I put coffee grounds and worm tea into the bin for my nitrogen component and use the finished product as a mulch on my raised beds. Well, Frank, your location just across the Ben Franklin Bridge from Old City, Philadelphia, is going to be somewhat cooler than gardeners in the actual city of brotherly love. While I, in the foothills of the Lehigh Valley South Mountain, am cooler than you. You know, honestly, I'm cooler than just about anybody, except little Stephen Van Zant, Howard G. Krebs, and Ed Kooky Burns. Hey, Kooky, lend me your comb. 
as always, I digress. But I did leave a trail of pretzel salt to help me find my way back. Soft pretzel salt, of course. To wit, to wit, to wit or to wonder. Anyway, although your finished product sounds like a great mulch, composting in areas with real winters is best accomplished as a two-season event. We diligently shred our leaves in the fall. Then we pile them into tumblers, spinners, sealed compost bins, and or open wire mesh cages, adding items to provide nitrogen that are either unwise, wise, and or bat poop crazy. Winter then greatly slows the composting process, especially if you loaded your pile up with low nitrogen kitchen scraps. Such compost may not even be thawed out by spring, much less finished. The wisest choice in cold winter climes is to let that compost break down in the warm weather of spring and then use it to freshen up your plots early to midsummer. But Frank's habit of making red wiggler smoothies opens up a new train of thought here. The best, the hottest, and the fastest way to compost shredded fall leaves is to add lots of spent coffee grounds to the leaves as you shred them, mixing the grounds in as you go. Coffee grounds are an excellent source of nitrogen, while most kitchen scraps are not, which is why we urge all of you to get a warm bin wherein those otherwise worthless scraps are turned into garden gold. Back to Frank. Remember Frank? I suggest that he dump the finished worm castings into that bin of his, where the undiced worms will help make finished compost faster. Plus, they won't be dead. And gardening not being dead is always an excellent goal. Well, that sure was some good information about water worms and compost now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website, where you can read it over at your leisure or your leisure. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be. Say it with me, ducky. YouBetYourGarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to wrangle my worms for his bin if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time, but you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse of a message teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please, please, please always include your location. Oi. You'll find all of this wonderful contact information, plus answers to hundreds of your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of recent shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast, 
It's all at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when the abrupt change to daylight savings time spun him into an alternate universe where cats had replaced race cars in the new NASCAT series. Meow! Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our audio engineer is always cheerful, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda McGrath. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Teresa Bradke. Our audio editor is the always lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is Judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director of direction is Javier Diaz. Our usual gang of idiots includes Eric Werner, Zach the Taquisneski, and Jolly Jake Morris. I was just able to stop our beloved CEO, Tim Fallon, who is not our executive producer, before he started to sip his cup of compost tea. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I'll be outside shredding leaves and yelling at the evil squirrels to stop planting black walnuts in my garden beds and in my containers and in my flower beds and in the wheel wells of my car until I can see you again next week. a never-ending debate. Is it wrong to collect and shred your leaves, or should you just let them lay where they lie? Anyway, I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, we'll tell you how we feel about the topic of nature versus nurture when it comes to leaves, plus your nurturing phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden.